Thank you. So um, I'm, I am excited, actually, and I'm excited about this particular scripture that you guys are up to now, which is um, very much about the rebuilding of the church. And really every generation rebuilds the church for their generation because I think you all know that we're not living in the 1950s and we're not living in the 1980s and we're not even living in the 2010s. We're living in a completely different generation and so therefore the church always must be a church that can fit and meet and relate and be relatable within a generation. So I'm not talking about relevance, I'm talking about incarnational, to, to be incarnational as the body of Christ into the world we live in, which is what Jesus did. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read you this scripture, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of these people. And then he wants them to ask this question. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing in comparison? Have you ever thought to yourself, oh, you know what? Church isn't what it used to be. Church isn't, it isn't how I used to like it. It isn't the way it used to work. And so God is speaking through the prophet to these people and he's saying, I get that. I get the fact that it doesn't feel the same. And then he goes on to say, even so, even though everything's different, be strong, Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel's the guy that's the governor. So he's speaking about those people in authority. Be strong. And then he goes on and he says, be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. That's the church world. That's the, the um, leaders of the church. And then he says, be strong, all you people of the land. There's a call on the life of every member of the church to be strong. And then he says from there, this is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. And other versions say the Lord of heaven's armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. And we sang about that this morning. And he goes on to talk about the silver and the gold, but the silver and the gold isn't the glory. It's got nothing to do with the glory. And he, he says from that point, the final glory of this house will be far greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. So he's saying... It mightn't look much to you, but the, but the glory of this, what you guys are building for this generation now, where the church, where the, where the world can see the church as the body of Christ, is going to be far greater than anything that you can compare it with. Now, early in 2020, in February, I'd just come back from England and COVID had begun, but we had no idea how it would decimate the world. And I was on my front veranda and I heard the Lord give me firstly the scripture that said, it will be like in the days of Noah when everybody's going about their business and then they just get slammed. 
And then the second thing he said was, the church of 2020 and the church of 2030 will not look anything like each other. And at the time, I heard that all, but I didn't have any understanding of what that would mean. And of course, it unfolded, and we all began to understand what that means. <clears throat> Last year, April 2022, the World Economic Forum put out a... a um, a report that talked about the 10 great challenges of this decade, 2020 to 2030. They, they, that, that, these are they. Um, but the one I want to pay attention to, especially in terms of church, is social cohesion erosion. Because what that means is a previously solid, cohesive group of people begin to no longer find their place among each other, and there's been, we can see a dissemination of what church looks like, and a number of people who are saying, even people in ministry who are saying, you know what, I probably don't need church, I'm fine, I'm just fine as it is, I love the Lord, I don't need to go to church. But one of the things that was said this morning um, by Roger is the fact that we do need each other. So we're into the fourth year of that de particular decade. And to our dismay and our consternation, Western churches have not, had not observed the signs of radical change. And many churches are now trying to work out what's happened and what to do about that. And it's, you know, there's a scripture in um, Kings or somewhere around there, Chronicles, and it says, um, sorry, look, just completely right on track, aren't I? But anyway, it talks about the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And I believe that this is a season for individual Christians to be able to understand the times and know what the church needs to do. I think that that's, uh, that is exactly where we are now. That's not for the leaders. It's for the people. We all need to be in that situation. And so... Radical change now is normal in our world and that's why the Lord repeatedly calls for us to be strong and also not to be afraid. So when we see the signs of change and the tumult that is in the world, we have to know that we, that's all of us, not the leaders, but all of us are planted into this time and this season we are here now on the, what's the date today? 20, 20, 15th of January, 2023. You've been planted here. You're planted in your school. You're planted at work. You're planted in your neighbourhood. You're planted in the business sector. Wherever we live, we've been planted here so that we can be the church into this situation for the sake of the kingdom. And it's absolutely vital that all of us are alert. There's a saying that I've been living with for the past few years, and it says, don't wait for the rush of the arrow. Listen for the creak of the bow. Don't wait for the rush of the arrow. Listen for the creak of the bow. Any really uh, good hunter or good soldier is a person, when they're sneaking along, is a person that can hear the bow creaking and, and the direction it's coming from and gets an understanding of the fact that I, I need to take action at this point so that I don't get hit by the arrows. But the difficulty is when we don't want to accept change, and that's very common among all of us, even in church, surprisingly enough, 
We want life to be the way it always was. And so when it's not the way it always was, we easily become discouraged and disenchanted. And we see that all around us. I know certainly in Australia, um, many people just stop coming to church. And yet there, there's that whole sense of, well, I'm still a Christian. Yes, we know that you're still a Christian. But the difficulty in all of that is you, can't, you can stop being in church but you can't stop be, being the church. And so you will always be the church. And if you're not there, the deficiency that is so easy for us all to point out, the church isn't doing that and the church isn't doing this, is at least in part because those people aren't there. And so the church isn't being fully the church. So we have to be people who understand the changing season and that the call on our lives is that we be his people in every season, looking to him to uh, understand the new challenges rather than just complain and look for somebody to blame. Because every Christian that's alive right now, we say we're the generation for this world. It's not like the younger people are the generation. If you're breathing, you're the generation for this world and to be part of the church. And there's a are saying in a world of change, the learners shall inherit the, the earth, while the learned will find themselves perfectly suited for a world that no longer exists. And that is one of the major issues that we have even in church, that we're perfectly suited if the world just was like that. But it's not like that. And so, I mean, one of the things I admire about this church so much, starting with Roger, but also, you know, Rich and Dan Slatter and a whole lot of different people, is taking up the posture of learner and going to WTC and putting themselves just next to a whole bunch of other learners who maybe they could teach, them, they could teach, but they're choosing to learn because we have to learn. I, I, when I began to do my study, which was with Fuller, early in this century, I, I, I came to understand things I hadn't understood before. And one of the things I saw, I felt like the Lord was saying to me was that mega churches are imploding. Do not go the way of mega churches. And at the time, mega churches didn't look like they were imploding. They looked pretty amazing. Now we can see that. But God works in the small and he works right down to the very deepest aspect of smallness because he works with you and he works with me and and when he works with us we can make a difference to the lady next door or the person behind the checkout or whatever the homeless people or or whoever we're working with because God wants to work out from the smallest aspect of the body of Christ which is me or you and go out into the world from that place so we don't realise how much we learned about being church instead of about following Jesus until things are shaken. And so, yes, we, we do need to be church, but sometimes we learn how to be church. We don't even think of the fact that in China it looks completely different. What we all need to do is learn how to follow Jesus so that when things are shaking, we, we can, instead of looking for people to blame, we can find where Jesus is and go there, that we can look forward instead of back because we understand that we're called to the world that we are in now. 
And every season for Christians and for the church is a season of rebuilding. Now, I love this next scripture because it relates so clearly and strongly with the one that I read first. And it's Ezra 3.10. And it's around the same period of time. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel, whose idea it was to build the temple in the first place. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. Now, that was really cool. They're all praising the Lord because they Lord praises, right? That's what they want to do. But then it goes on and it says, but many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. Now, for millennia, God didn't have a home on earth. He was just everywhere. And then he gives instructions to Moses to build a tent and get a box and God's going to live in the box in the tent. And he seems to have been quite happy there for a very long time. But David decides to build him a beautiful temple and then Solomon gets to build it. And, and within the, the framework of that... Um, we need to see that having God live in that astonishingly beautiful temple, which was probably the most astonishing building in the world at that time, did not stop the people from going to worship false gods. They still went into apostasy and that glorious temple actually only lasted a few years. So the builders that are returning to Jerusalem with Ezra to rebuild the temple, they're multi-generation, very young people, very old people and everybody in between, but they're eager to build a house of worship and because they want their God there. So, but the other ones, the older ones, the ones that had seen that dazzling feat of engineering and splendour knew that they, unskilled workers who were on a shoestring budget and they're juggling families and jobs, could never build anything comparable to the splendour of the previous temple. Solomon had a bottomless pit of money. And he had the resources of the muscle of hundreds of thousands of enforced laborers. And he, he could use all of that to build this magnificent temple. But by contrast, the rebuilders here are restricted by lack of resources, skilled labor, and time. They're dedicated, but there's conflict in their team. And let me tell you this if we, you know, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith to which you were called. If we don't fight the good fight of faith, we will fight among ourselves. If we don't fight our enemy, we will fight among ourselves. And that's going to stop the rebuilding, let me tell you. And so here, they're dedicated, but there's conflict in their team. They're fighting among themselves. They've got an enemy on the outside. And so the building was stopped several times. And when finally they celebrated the completion of the foundation, some of them rejoiced and some of them were grief-stricken because it didn't look like it used to look before. 
Now, Jesus is very compassionate with that kind of thing. He talks about new wine and, and old wine and new wineskins because he knows how much we prefer the old and the safe and the comfortable and how deeply we remember the glory of what was and how we amplify it also in our mind and how we don't understand the cost of rebuilding or we don't want to pay the cost of rebuilding. But what, the, what they didn't remember was that that nation paid dearly for the temple that Solomon built, right? He used enslaved people without mercy, hundreds of thousands of slaves to build that. The nation was taxed to the hilt to build that beautiful thing. And we can see that because when he died and his son Rehoboam took it on, the, the elders of the nation come to Rehoboam and say, could you just you know, lighten the tax load? We're just overwhelmed. The burden is so great and we'll be happy to serve you if you can just you know, ease off a bit. And he's just like, you know what, nah. And so he loses 90% of his kingdom in one fell swoop. What isn't understood is that God didn't ask for that glorious temple to be built for his glory because he has his own glory. He has his own glory And we can't add to it with our pitiful little efforts. He was willing to live in a box in a tent. When the people celebrated, it was because they had a place for God to be worshipped. But And when they wept, it was because they thought their worship was about the building and the rituals and not about the God who lived in it. Now, we need buildings. You know, we don't want to stand in the cold and the rain and sleet and hurricanes and heat and all the rest of it. But this isn't about buildings. This is about our default to long for what used to be and to weep at the comparison. And yet the work of the church is for every Christian, every Christian representing Jesus in building his kingdom in this generation while we are still breathing. So what are the struggles our generation is faced with? What are the questions that people are asking, if Jesus would, was here, would be he be in Parliament arguing to allow people to wear crosses to work? Or would he be out there in the cold supporting the homeless community, having coffee with his gay neighbours, making sure his disabled friends get to work on time? We are all made to work with him in rebuilding the kingdom for the generation that we live in, for the time that we live in, for the COVID years... We can't wait for COVID to be over. Everything's changed. COVID, Black Lives Matter, climate crisis, economic crisis. We have so many things. We call call it COVID, but it's actually a million things. And um, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, one of my favourite scriptures, his purpose was that now, like now, now, I've got a friend who says to me, Bev, you always say now, and it's now, you know, now. But um, no, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, now through the church, not through the leaders of the church, not through what church used to be, but that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places according to the eternal purposes. Like forever God knew you would be sitting in this seat that you're sitting in now, ready to go out into the world and represent Jesus to a world that doesn't know him right now. So each of us needs to look for what Jesus is doing now and fall in with that. And I've realised 
in the last number of years that God relates more with people who are asking questions than the one who ha- ones who have all the answers. In fact, there's that whole thing that, that, that says, as far as I'm concerned, that God is more cool with questions that we can't get answers for than he is with a religion that has answers that can't be questioned. The only answers that we've got is that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross and he forgave my sins and he rose again from the dead and he'll live forever and I can be a person who loves the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and I love my, love my neighbour as myself. That, that's our answer. All the rest of it, you know, when Peter was praying and fasting on the roof and the sheep came down with all the unclean animals and God tells him to eat the animals and he says, no, I'm not going to do that because they're unclean. And God says, don't say something that I've called clean. Don't say it's not clean. But that's the God who in the Old Testament did say it was not clean. And now he's saying, I'm not saying that anymore. I'm, I'm moving on. Now he's saying something different. We want to follow rules, but God wants us to follow him. And that makes all the difference. I've got tattooed on my foot, Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Got it tattooed on my foot so that I won't forget, right? <laughs> Always going to see my foot. What was it? What did that say again? So for people who are invested... In the thriving of life-giving churches, we're going to have to grapple with things we, we don't understand. It's just so we can work out a way forward. We need to take a stock of our current position and move on out from there. Bible says in Psalm 105, Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It's not a torch. You can't shine it all the way up and see where you're going. It's not an electric light that will show you what you're going to trip over. It's just a lamp and we hold it up as church and as Christians and we see where we are right now and we see what the next step is. And then we hold it up and we see... I'm not going to walk off the platform. We see where we are now and then we see what the next... All we can see is where I am and what to do next. Not what to do down there, but just what to do next. And so for the first time in millennia, Christians in the West are facing this earth-shattering realisation that we are not the norm of Christians. In fact, the normal Christian is a 30-something-year-old woman who lives in Africa, African woman who lives in Africa. The second normal Christian is in Southeast Asia and the third is in South America. And we in the West, that's all the Western nations are about that big in comparison to the pie chart of how big the church is. We're the richest, yep, by far we're the richest church, but we're the weakest church as well. Weakest in numbers, weakest in understanding of faith. And that weakness has severely contributed to our ignorance because when you're comparatively well off and, you know, comparatively better off than your siblings, it's very easy to develop a mindset which doesn't empathise, it doesn't understand and it doesn't take responsibility because when the huge needs are being felt by somebody else, somewhere else, it's easy to change the channel. But it's not this change, is not that we didn't have warning. Churches all over the world, especially the trendy churches, have been experiencing significant decline for quite a long time, all through the latter part of the 20th century. And 
all over the Western world now, church leaders and churches are floundering trying to get back to when it was a lot safer for us all. But Christianity, Christians aren't designed to live in safety. It was never about safety. The first 400 years were the most unsafe time until Constantine made it a politically expedient move for people to be Christian. But Christian, Christian, we're not supposed to be safe. If we can just get rid of that idea, we'll all be a whole lot more equipped to go forward. And so, you know, what's happening now is future church is developing with people who have nothing to lose. The young, the unsung, that means people who aren't being celebrated, the, the people that have got an eye to the future instead of the past, older people who can honestly acknowledge we did it this way and it didn't work or it only partially worked. All of those are investigating and then propagating new ways of being church. And so those ways form in small places and dark spaces with no fanfare but with great courage, with great courage. People who've determined, I am not going to be afraid, I am going to be strong, I am going to go forward, I'm not going to worry if it doesn't fit the mould. So they're messy, they're unprofessional but the authenticity of their hopes and their genuine care for each other and for other people and their love for God covers a whole multitude of that lack. So people who used to just sit in the pews and wait to be fed are looking for ways to bring the kingdom of God into their community now because God wants to live among his people. The one who began his life in the womb of a pregnant, um, of a, an impoverished, unwed teenager doesn't need fancy premises, right? The presence of God has never been contained in a building. It's not enrobed in worship formats. Those things are just vehicles through which cultures can have the clarity on what we're doing and where we're doing it and all that. But the how and the the who and, sorry, the who and the why, those things are invisible because worship resides in the heart of people. And only God knows whether we're worshipping him or whether we're worshipping our format and our lifestyle and our standpoint and our values and our culture. And it's so easy to conflate culture with Christianity and think it's the same thing. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because God has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and to the afflicted. He sent me to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and from condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to the prisoners. Isaiah 61. I'm so glad about that. Who said that? It's a song about the Lord's determination to right wrongs, to heal wounds, to free prisoners. All through the Bible, God's heart is there for the oppressed and the marginalised. It's loudly declared. And that's significant for us who are now in the third decade of the 21st century because God is highlighting to his people what is important to him. And I want to tell you, as a Christian for a long time, I have been absolutely shocked in the last decade or so to look and see how much of the Bible is dedicated to God saying, you need to look after my people You need to stop condemning. You need to bring love, not condemnation. 
Once you begin to look, it's amazing how much God cares about the marginalised people on this planet. And that's why so much of what we have thought was important is being shaken off us so that we can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That a whole lot of the stuff that we thought was Christianity but is just our culture would be just shaken away. Hebrews 12 His voice shook the earth then, but now he's made a promise. It's a promise. The shaking that we're experiencing is the result of our promise, not our curse. Because God wants to bring us back to what is vital. But now he's made a promise. Still once more I will shake not only the earth but heaven also. The words still once more reveal the removal of what is shaken, things that are part of his creation so that what isn't shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's continue to say thank you, Lord, that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and even all the things that we've depended on right up to now are being shaken away. Lord, we're getting the kingdom with greater clarity and greater understanding and greater power and greater... um, fullness in us than we've ever had before. And so with this gratitude, let us serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe because our God really is a consuming fire. And so this time of shaking, such as we've never experienced before, is for us. It's something we need for grad. Don't get sidetracked into being afraid or blaming. That first scripture says again and again, be strong. There's a reason for that. Because it acknowledges that the church today will not look like it used to look, but that we are to be strong and to work. Toward what? Toward what Jesus is doing among us. Teaching English to refugees, gathering blankets for the homeless community, caring for the elderly in their homes, teaching sewing or cooking or computing skills, helping young leaders to grow and become strong. Ask God what he is doing now using your abilities and your gifts and what you have and what you were made for. Ask him what he's doing now so that now the church, you, can show what it is to be his people in a world full of fear and fragmentation, that we can be a brave new church, that we can be unafraid of change and unafraid of hardship, that we can be bold and free because the, the God that we worship is contained in us and not in a building that the power of the presence of God would come from us, that we're not going to, yes, we need leaders in a church. I'm not saying that we don't. I am one. I I understand that. But it's not the leaders who have to do all the stuff. It's actually each one of us is responsible. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over that work that says it's not my fault, it's not my role, it's not my responsibility, but why isn't the church doing something? I break the power of that mindset and I refuse it the right to continue to operate in us. Lord, not not just talking about, I'm not talking about Revelation Church, but Lord, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ across the Western world. And so, Father, that we will see the outpouring of your presence on our lives as we rebuild, as we come in, Lord God, yes, juggling budgets and jobs and homes and families, 
but still coming in and saying, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to be part of the rebuilding. I'm going to love the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to speak bad about it. I'm going to see what it needs, and I'm going to do what I can to become part of that, Lord God, that we would love the church, that we would love your church, that we would be a people who say, unto him be glory in the church. And Lord, that that glory would be there both now where we are and forevermore because we build that into those people that are coming after us. So Lord, we pray for the empowering of your spirit for breakthrough to be the church right across this nation, that people will see you in the midst of fragmentation and brokenness and poverty and marginalization and rejection and fear and all of those other things, Lord, that they will see in each one of us as Christians who rise to stand and say, I will be strong, I will not be afraid, I will go forward and I will, Lord, give my life that there be glory in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.